We're starting a new series of sermons today entitled Second Mild Christians. Second Mild Christians. And it is my intention as we go through this series to make all of you, along with myself, very uncomfortable. Amen. So this may be the last time I see you for the series, but God did not call us to convenience. He called us to carry our cross. So if you're able to stand, would you join with me as we read in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in the 38th verse. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your outer garment, your tunic, your best Sunday outfit, turn, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you, forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Say above. above. Say above. above. And, beyond. and beyond. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this time that we have to be together in your word. Speak to us from on high. And if we have ears to hear, we will not leave as we came. We pray this in Jesus' name. The church said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise God. Above and beyond. And I'm not, I'm not talking about Star Trek. A Marine officer approached the hospital and as he prepared to enter the door, he was met by a very anxious nurse who, without a word, ushered this soldier through the halls, through the corridors, whisked him onto an elevator, took him up to one of the higher floors in the hospital, directed him to the side of an elderly man who was imminent. He was actively, he was actively dying. In her introduction to the Marine and the elderly man who was dying was, your son, your son is here. She repeated herself several times where the elderly man was so weak that he could barely open his eyes, your son, your son is here. And with the utterance of those words, the Marine reached his hand out, and he took the elderly dying man's hand into his own, and he held on to the man's hand, and throughout the night, he would say, you're not alone. I'm here with you. 
I will not leave your side. While holding the man's hand, uh, the nurse who was responsible for caring for the patient, she brought in a seat for the Marine to sit in. And although he was sitting, he continued to hold the dying man's hand. And he never was distracted by, if you've ever been in the hospital, you know that there's often a lot of activity going on at the nurse's station where phones are ringing. Uh, when you're dying, often they will move you closer to the nurse's station because uh, the attention that is needed by the patient is uh, increased. And so there are phone calls, there's visitors, there's nurses getting calls from doctors, they're taking orders. And the Marine was never at any time during his stay at the side of this elderly man, bed, distracted. At about 4 a.m., the Marine felt the man's hand go limp. And he realized then that the man had died. And so he gradually released his hand from the, the, the man now who has died. And he goes out to the nurse's station, who's on the phone, who's fingering through papers. And he waits for her to get finished everything that she was doing. And then he whispers, I think he's gone. I think he's gone. The nurse leads the man back into his father's room. And she says, after taking his respirations and pronouncing that the patient has died, she turns to the soldier and says, your father has died. The Marine replied, he's not my father. I've never seen this man a day before in my life. She said, well, <laughs> why didn't you tell me that this man was a total stranger to you? And he said, well, when you led me into the room, it became clear that this man needed his son and expected him to be at his bedside. And so I decided to remain at the side of this man's bed until his son arrived. His son never arrived, but he remained there. What would make a soldier sit beside the bedside of a dying man that he'd never met a day in his life? Why would he care about someone that never did anything for him? While I don't fully know how the Marine, if he was standing before you today, how he might answer those questions, what I do know is that what he did in the sacrifice he made, it is often called going beyond and above the call of duty. What does it mean when we talk about going above and beyond? Now, what's interesting about above and beyond, it's really a redundant term. They act, those two words mean the same thing, but they have a colloquialism about them, and so they take on a special meaning in the context of how we understand it. And so when we talk about above and beyond, we, it, it denotes excess, extravagance, lavishness. It means to exceed what is required for a particular situation or interaction with another person. It means to exceed, go beyond, to lavish. 
to be extraordinary. When we talk about above and beyond, we, 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 we're referring to uh, doing more than is, than is necessary, doing more than what people would expect. Jesus makes reference to this in the Beatitudes in Matthew's chapter 5 that we're going to be talking about. But in the New Testament, going above and beyond is really what it means to be a second-mile Christian. When it comes to serving others, we should be extravagant. We should exceed what, is, what someone who doesn't know the Lord would do. We should go beyond the call of service with the intention that when we leave that situation, it will be better than it was, than it would have been if we had not arrived on the scene. Second mile Christians, does that describe you? Say with me again, above and beyond. Listen to the words that our Lord uses in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 41 in particular. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him the second mile. Now, you notice these aren't my words. I didn't put them in the Bible. The Lord says, go the second mile. In this portion of scripture we, that are called the Beatitudes or beautiful attitudes, they really reflect the rules of the kingdom of God that should be executed on earth as they are now being executed or implemented in heaven. When you go through chapters 5 through 7, that is, those are, that section of scripture is called the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And the superlatives, the things that are out of the ordinary that the Lord ask and requires of Christians are things that, rec that reflect the ideal that will be ultimately true of all believers when we're no longer constrained by the restrictions of our flesh. But even though they exceed what we are humanly capable of doing in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we are able to go above and beyond. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm going to ask our, our sound technician to turn me down just a little bit. Amen? Just a little bit. Now, we ought to be second mile Christians. And Jesus gives specifically four areas in the believer's life where it is particularly hard where we struggle the most with being inconvenienced and having folk up in our world and messing with our game night and our bowling night and our, our schedule. Our schedule. Um, let me share those four areas. First of all, he's going to talk about in the area, going the second mile in the area as it relates to physical protection. Physical protection. Then he's going to step on our toes as it relates to material possession. Say material possession. And then thirdly, he addresses the area of social privilege. Say social privilege. My rights. My privileges. And finally, he will talk about 
financial prudence on money. Don't mess with my money. As soon as you start talking about money, you shut down. So before we delve into those four areas where God, in his word, has declared that I don't just want you to fit in. I don't just want you to go along to get along. I, I, I don't want you just to uh, uh, do what is necessary. I, I want you to exceed what is required. Let me share four quick observations. First of all, going the extra mile is consistent with God's character. It's what God is like. And there's so many verses that I could pull out, but I don't want to just over uh, 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 load you today. But let me just share this first. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, God got extravagant. God got lavish. God said, let me go the second mile. While we were yet without strength, while we were still in our sins, while we were sheep without a shepherd, not running to God, but from God, he sent, he proved without a question or a doubt how much he loved us, he sent Jesus. Going the second mile is consistent with God's character. That's what our father is like. You know how, how they say an apple don't fall too far from the tree? <laughs> that ought to be true. God is extravagant in his love towards us. It also, here's another reason why I, I ought to be a second mile Christian. It's Christ-like. It's Christ-like. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, we, say, we quote this passage all the time. Let this mind be in you which was also on Christ Jesus. That idea, you ought to lose your mind. You need to lose your mind so that you will have the mind of Christ. What was Christ like? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He existed in his un, in the, before the incarnation. He existed in spirit form. He did not need to become equal to God because he was equal to God and continued to be even in the flesh. But the word of God says, but he made himself of no, he got extravagant. He got lavish. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form, not of a king, not of a president, but as a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Jesus got excessive when it came to demonstrating to us what pleases God. He left Heaven's glory. He impoverished himself that you and I. We quoted all of them. That we, he came to give us life. What kind of life? Life more abundantly. He became poor that you and I can become rich. Stay with me now. So it's consistent with God's character being a second mile Christian. <clears throat> it's Christ-like to be a second mile Christian. But here's the third thing. It's a command. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do not, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but putting the interest of others above your own. It's a command. 
It's not multiple choice. It ain't, Lord, let's talk about this. Let's see what we can, let, let's, let, let's come to some kind of, uh, it's not a conference call. This is not consensus. The Lord says, let no selfish ambition or ill-motivated Ill act proceed out of your limbs and out of your members, but put the interest of others. And we're looking for a place to lay our head. We want our remote control. We want to get our, our special favorite program lined up. What are you talking about, honey? You get to watch the big TV, and I got to watch the little. No, 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 no. Put the interests of others. Here's a fourth thing. Not only is it a command, it's Christ-like, and it's consistent with God's character. It's contrary to our nature. <laughs> the Bible says that the, that, 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 that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict one with another. Therefore, the Bible says, walk in the spirit so that you will not fulfill. In order for us to go the second mile for others, we can't do it on our own because our flesh wants to be served. Our flesh wants to be elevated. We ain't trying to die. We trying to live. But I hear Paul say, I am crucified. And so going the extra mile, that's why folk are flocking to the larger churches. You don't have to do nothing there. You go, you get entertained, you get to hide out, and if you keep sending your offering, even if you don't come on a regular basis, who cares? But when it's about accountability and commitment, that comes against our flesh. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh. Somebody say amen. They are a conflict and contrary one to another. Give me a little bit more, Mike, now. I'm going to ask you to give me some. Amen. Amen. We're going to work it out. Going the second mile is what gives bite to the Christian's bark. You got a bunch of toothless Christians. <laughs> I declare and decree and I bind that spirit. And, I, and they got to get it like that. <laughs> you know, then it really happened. No, it didn't. You just bark real loud, and then the devil saw you don't have a teeth in your mouth. Second mile Christians make, makes hope come alive. The unseen seen. Faith becomes real when Jesus, the Bible says, and the word became flesh, and he tabernacled. He lived among us, and we beheld the glory when you do something beyond the call of duty, the word of God becomes real in somebody's life. They see your light and they are caused to glorify your father. Second mile Christians brings the unseen and makes it seen. Somebody stay with me. It brings laughter to the brokenhearted. It going above and beyond, it brightens your darkest day. It strengthens the arms of the oppressed. It sets captives free. It causes P 
people to long for a closer walk with God. It makes folks want to come to church because they know when they come here, somebody's going to smile. Somebody's going to embrace them. Somebody's going to pay attention to them. They're going to matter to somebody. And that attention, that care, that genuine love will cause that person to desire God, second mile Christian. Does that describe you? Are you simply looking for a comfortable blanket? <laughs> I just want to get in the glory now. Some of us got a lot of mileage on us. We got some folk who have served for years in this church, and I mean doing some serious under the hood, taking people's lives apart and putting, not taking them apart, but <laughs> finding lives all over the place in shambles, fragmented, and you stayed there with them and, and helped them and even today, because of the labor of love, the second effort that you put in to helping them become everything that the Lord wants, they're still in the faith. But I'm telling you today, don't get weary in well-doing. Because if you faint not, the Bible says you will reap a harvest of blessing. Be steadfast. I'm, I'm talking about the folk who got some tread on them. I ain't talking about the folk that been on the beach. I ain't talking about the ones who've been on the lazy chair. I'm talking about the folks who've been working behind the scenes. Be steadfast, unmovable, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because if you faint not, God is going to give you a harvest. I will open up not a window in heaven, but the windows of heaven. And I'm going to pour out. I'm going to pour out such blessings that you will not be able to receive. Everybody around you is going to be blessed because of you. If you faint not. Now, let's look at these four areas. I got all my amens up front. So let's dig into this. God wants us, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, wants us to go above and beyond in the area of physical protection. He says, you've heard, and it's been said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I say that you don't even avoid evil people. But whoever slaps you on one cheek before they ball up their fist to punch you, again, turn the other cheek. I was just sharing with somebody how I watched uh, uh, someone come shake the pastor's hand, and he punched the pastor right in the face. And the pastor tried to stand up, and, you know, the Holy Spirit's supposed to keep him from, you know, being dazed. He was dazed. Amen, amen, amen. Now, I'm not as quick as I used to be, but uh, physical protection is a serious matter. Somebody say amen. That's why you got all those burglar bars and you're paying Comcast and uh, other agencies to monitor your house while you're in church. Some of you act like you following on the scripture, but you're really looking at your house. Make sure they didn't get in and take your big screen TV. In these words, Jesus contrasts 
the natural and the supernatural response to physical attacks on believers. How second mile believers respond and how the believers who, I'm just going to church, I'm just trying to get mine. I, who the believers who say, I ain't that saved yet. You ever hear brothers and sisters say, I ain't that saved yet. He illustrates, he uses the illustration of physical attacks against yourself and others that you witness. You, this could include your family. This could include uh, brothers, you're getting on the elevator and you see a man, uh, you know, uh, lifting a woman up off the floor, or vice versa, a woman lifting a brother up off the floor. <laughs> you know, uh, if you saw, um, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> this includes any time you feel physically or emotionally threatened and attacked. It also includes situations where your family and others are, where people are being threatened that you love. And you pick up the phone and somebody's cussing your daughter out or telling them when you come out here, we're going to put it on you or however people talk now. Uh, you better not come back to school. And you say, well, let me pray over you, sis, and send you to school. So when we talk about second mile Christians, we're talking about real life issues where a physical attack that also impacts you emotionally is a part of your experience. Now here's the natural response to a physical attack we often call self-defense. In the Old Testament, we're told an eye for an eye and a two for two. This refers to if somebody punched you an eye, you punch them right back in the same eye, and then it's over. Uh, whether they did it intentionally or unintentionally, that's not the issue. Whatever they did to you, you have the right to do to them. It's important to understand that retaliation and self-defense are not the same. So when we talk about self-defense, when the Lord says, turn the other cheek, he's not talking about self-defense because the Bible says that God has ordained authorities to carry weapons and to execute judgment. Jesus physically cast the money changers out of the temple. Uh, uh, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, build with one hand, but hold your, 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 hold your peace with the other hand. So the Lord would have been a Second Amendment God. He's not against protecting your family. But what this passage is really dealing with is retaliation. Now, self-protection occurs when there's imminent and immediate danger. Somebody approaches you, they're trying to hurt you or your family. Self-protection says you will do everything within your power and your right to prevent someone from harming those who you love. The Bible says love yourself as you, you know, you, as you love others. So you can't love others if you don't love yourself. So the scripture is not against, we talk about turning the other cheek. He's talking about this issue of retaliation. While self-defense is imminent and immediate response to physical harm or emotional danger, retaliation is, you're gonna think about this thing. It already happened. It may have been a year ago, but the time ain't right. <laughs> To fix this thing, retaliation has to do with getting even, to pay back and punish those who have hurt you and those who you care about. And so what Jesus is saying when it comes to physical protection, he's saying it is not wrong to physically defend those who you love, but it is always wrong 
to retaliate. It is always wrong to hold a grudge, to be unforgiving, to allow a seed of bitterness to take root in your heart. It is always wrong to wish harm to someone else. I remember I was, and I've shared this before, I was going into church getting ready to preach, and I bumped into a lady that I dated when I wasn't married, when I wasn't married. <laughs> and I said, you know, just casually, I, uh, I said, well, please pray for me as I'm going. I'm getting ready to preach. And I was at Christian Stronghold, sis. Getting ready to preach. She said, after I stopped asking God to curse you. So I was like, whoa. I wanted to say, that's why I didn't marry you. So some of us, we ain't going to break our nails. We ain't letting nobody pull out our $400, you know, weave job. It ain't going to happen. I'm not going to punch my boss in the face because I'll get fired. But I will do everything in my power to make sure that he's humiliated, she's humiliated, that anytime I can say a word that is negative to help them not to succeed, that's retaliation. Retaliation is somebody bullies you at school and you decide to go get an AK-47 and you learn how to shoot it so that you can go back and you're going to show as many people as you can that you ain't taking it no more. And so you kill 17 children. Retaliation is somebody does something. Here's how Christians do it the ones who love the Lord and know their Bibles and pray. <laughs> Somebody hurts us, we don't talk to them. We talk about them to others. And then instead of others telling us to do what the Bible says, go to the person, they take up our reproach. And then what happens is the devil has not only gotten a victory in the area where he has attacked you, from the hands of another Christian, and that's what the Bible says, we kill our wounded. We, 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 when you, oh, you down? I don't see dirt on your ankle. Let me push you over a little bit more. Hey, catch this one. You know, no, no. We, the Bible doesn't tell us to kill our wounded, to love those. He said, bear the infirmities of the weak. Doesn't it say that? Restore those who have fallen. And what the scripture says, and so instead of talking to the person who hurt you, we talk about the person. Of course, we pray about it. Let's pray about it. Let's tell Jesus. <laughs> And then the people that you, you deem as spiritual enough to hear what you said about a person who hurt you, they're not spiritual enough to challenge you to say, you know what, this happened and you're absolutely right now, go to the person. The Bible says if your brother offends you, do what? Go to them in private. That's second mile. The world holds grudges. The world doesn't forgive. The world says, you know what, if you did that, just wait. Just wait. I'm going to smile. That's where that song came from, smiling faces, smiling. You know, they tell lies. <laughs> Don't tell the truth. And so the natural response is to get even. The spiritual response is to refuse to retaliate. Here's what the word of God says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. As much as it lies within you, you be the keeper of the peace. Every Christian who's a second mile Christian is a peacemaker. You ain't no hell raiser. I know you're a son of Don and you know, Zebedee, the Zebedee kids, but now you say, 
In, in Christ, you were new what? New creation. All things. And the Bible says, such were some of you. Come on, stay with me. The Bible says, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Who's? God. And I will replay, saith the Lord. But instead of re being revengeful and retaliating, the scripture says, if your enemy's hungry, tell them, that's your problem, sis. I said, feed him or her. If your enemy is thirsty, you give him something to drink. He said, oh, God, finally getting them. I knew they were going to get it. Lord, I hope they don't want them to die, but let them be real thirsty. Let them turn their water off and everybody in the neighborhood see when the, you know, when the, when the uh, 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 what do they call it, the, the water company, the, uh, yeah, yeah, come and turn their stuff off. Mm-hmm. The Bible says when it comes to physical protection, second-mile Christians are not retaliators. We leave vengeance to the Lord. God doesn't get a chance to deal with our enemies because we won't get out of the way. And so when it comes to physical protection, you protect your family, but don't retaliate. Don't spiritualize retaliation. Don't be in the same church reading from the same Bible, praying to the same God, and have hatred and, and, and venom in your heart against your sister and brother. Don't come to the church and can't sit next to the, or, 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 or pray with the same person that you're singing with and be genuine. Don't come to me talking about someone that you haven't talked to who has offended you. You who are spiritual, address that. Send them back to the person. Somebody say amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's a second thing. Go beyond Above and beyond in the area of material possessions. He says, if anyone wants to sue you, sue me and take away your tunic, your outer garment, this nice pair of pants and shirt and all that I got on, said, let them have that, not just that, it's your coat. Back in Jesus' day, if you were guilty of a crime against someone, they could sue you for everything you owned except your coat. And the reason they let you have your coat, because if you had a coat, you could start over again. You could sleep under your coat. <laughs> you could be, you wouldn't die. You wouldn't, you can be, it'd be cold, but you have a coat. May not have a house, may not have a bed, may not have a roof over your head, but you got a coat. Put the coat over your head. And so it was legal to sue a person for everything. Jesus says, let me take this to a second mile. If they say, give me your coat, you say you talk to your attorney and ask for an attorney uh, privilege, the Fifth Amendment. Can I plead the Fifth? No, he says you give up. Now watch out before you, before you leave now. Don't, don't go nowhere. Stay with me. So the natural response when somebody is suing you is this, or if somebody's wronged you, is you better get all you can get. If you, this person got some money. Did you see what they drove the church in? I know where they live. I know they got them a nice 401k, and it ain't coming from them anyway. It's coming from the insurance company. So you get all you can get if you're suing them because they did wrong to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you did wrong and were sued, you should keep all you can keep. That's the natural response. You should hide and protect your assets. Hire the best lawyer. Now, I didn't say don't hire a good lawyer. Somebody say amen. 
the better the attorney, the more he or she can get for you and keep from them. So here's the idea. When you're wrong, the natural response to when you're wrong and somebody can sue you is to pretend, I don't work. <laughs> I wasn't responsible for that accident, even though I was texting and looking at YouTube while I was driving. I wasn't responsible for that accident when I was driving 55 miles an hour in the school zone with the school bus stopped and the, and the cameras on me. That really wasn't me. That was somebody, you know, I have one of those electronic remotely controlled cars. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you're wrong and someone actually sues you, rather than trying to keep from a person what can reconcile or, or to, to, to appease the loss that they have, he said, you should be willing to release everything that God allows the person to have access to. Now, here's what's interesting about that. One of the greatest liabilities of hospitals, when, some, when, 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 when there's a, a mistake with a, an operation, and sometimes they take a left leg off when they should have took a right leg off, or some other mishap where they sew you up and they leave, a, a, a leave one of the instruments inside of you. Or for, so, what, so that's called malpractice. One of the reasons why doctors get sued most is because no one picked up the phone to say to the family, we messed up. I'm sorry, that doesn't mean they don't need to compensate you. But the compensation, if you do the study, is less when you're honest. So the Lord is saying when it comes to legalities, if you are wrong, don't lie and say you're sick when you're not sick. Don't lie and say you're injured when you're not injured. Don't be going to these uh, fake doctors to pretend that you have an injury that you don't. Don't be telling your child, your baby mama, that you don't work, but you're really working under the table so you don't have to pay child support. Don't, when it comes to legal matters, the scripture is saying that you need to go the second mile. You need to do everything that you can to make it right when you're wrong. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, uh-huh. I told you it's going to be a little tight. Well, if I give her the money, she's going to use it for herself. Who's taking care of that little crumb snatcher that you and her had? She didn't have that baby by herself. Well, I'll send it to her as she needs it so you can be in control and, 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 and harass the person. No, just do what you're supposed to do. So in the area where it comes to our material possessions, the Bible says that what will it profit you if you gain the entire world, but you lose your own soul? We put money up, we, we put material things above the word of God. We're more concerned about those things than we are about relationships. So the Lord says, when it comes to the second mile, if you did something wrong and somebody's coming after you, you try to make it right. Don't try to hide and protect because if, you, if the shoe was on the other foot, you would be going for the juggler. And, and, and for Christians, the truth is, that shouldn't be your mentality. That's what the Lord is saying. Amen? Okay, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you and heaven smile. Stop faking stuff. Somebody said, well, I got me a... 
I got me a handicap sticker. Okay, if you if you're handicapped and can't walk, fine. But don't be that. That's almost like I don't want to be handicapped. I don't want to have to take somebody somebody's lead. I want to walk as long as I got strength in my leg. I want the folks to know that God is good and He's keeping me alive. I'm not, you know, if you need a, if you need a handicap spot, fine. But don't just get it so when you go to a concert, you always have a parking spot. If you, if it's cold, you don't have to be far, further away than other people. It ought not to be so among Christians. Don't tell me what you're doing under the table. I'm your pastor. I don't want to know. I do not want to know. I'm not signing off on that. Go beyond the call of duty in the area of material possession. Go beyond the call of duty in the area of protect, uh, uh, physical protection. Also go beyond the call of duty when it comes to social privilege. He said, whoever compels you, forces you to go one mile, don't just go one mile, go two miles. During the time that Jesus lived, there was a law, the Romans being the most powerful empire in the world, that military uh, men had the right to have Jews and foreigners take their backpacks, which were 66 pounds. It didn't matter where you were going, what time of day, how tired you were, how, 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 whatever, whatever the urgency, your wife could be pregnant, you could be taking her to uh, uh, Christiana Hospital. If a, if a soldier said, yo, take my backpack, you would have to stop whatever you were doing. They would force you to by law, and if you didn't do it, you could be arrested on the spot and then flogged, beaten. And so you would take this 66-pound bag a mile. And it really wasn't a mile, it was two miles, because if it was going in the opposite direction from where you were heading, then you took it one mile, and then you had to walk back the same distance that you carried, so now we're two miles. So when Jesus says go four miles, Take it two miles, you're really talking about four miles because you, you walk the one mile and he says, offer, don't even be asked, offer to go the second mile because you went two, two miles, now you gotta go back two miles, now it's four. So Jesus says, don't be compelled, offer with a smile. <laughs> now, when some, now I thought about this. If I got in trouble, I'm the pastor of the church, at three in the morning, who could I call? Who would carry my backpack? If I needed a couple dollars, now nah, we're not talking about money. Let's just say I'm stranded on the side of the road. Or I needed somebody to pick up my wife because I couldn't get to her. Who could I call? As a Christian in this church, there ought to be people that you could call at three in the morning that you know that would go the second mile even though it's inconveniencing. And you don't even feel bad to call them because they feel privileged to be available, to be a blessing to you because of how good God has been to them. And they don't take nothing in return because they say to you, if you pay me, you're still in my blessing. Now that don't mean you can't give me a gift card later on, you know, where I can go to Cheesecake Factory or somewhere, take my wife and get us some food. But you don't have to do that. 
But I want you to understand, if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm on duty. If it's 3 o'clock on the morning, if you need me, just call me. I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry. You can just call my name. Now, the natural response, because, see, when we were courting our wives, there was nothing that that woman could ask us to do. We wouldn't do. Oh, you want to go to the ballet? Sure, honey. Can we go to the ballet? Can, hey, 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 can we stay extra? My wife used to love me to go to the grocery store with her. <laughs> she cannot pay me. <laughs> She said, I saw a lot of husbands out in the store yesterday with their wives shopping. I said, poor jokers. <laughs> I'm doing work for the kingdom. I'm suffering for Jesus. Don't you understand? I'm toting that barge, lifting that, you know. And sometimes we will do what we have to do. You're cooking the meal, but you resent every second of it. These folks think I'm their slave. They think I'm their maid. They think I'm, you are their servant. You are their maid. We all are servants. Ain't we? That's what the Bible says. That the greatest in the kingdom is the least. The greatest in the kingdom shall be servant of all. I don't mind if you treat me like who I am. My problem is, as a Christian, we've got an identity problem. We think we're more than we are. But it was all right when we were courting. It was all right before you got me. It was all right before you knew I'm locked in stock. We got the ring in the paper. But what about now? There ought to be one place that a person can go to, a husband and wife, and know that you're going to get some second-mile treatment. You're going to get some second-mile love. going to be some second-mile cooking, second-mile cleaning, second-mile hugging, second-mile... You, you, it ought to be where you live. There, there ought to be something extravagant and lavish and extraordinary about your home when it comes to those who you say you love. And when I'm carrying your backpack, when the load is heaviest, what that causes the world to question is, what makes you go the extra mile? Why are you willing to serve with a smile? Why aren't you asking for a pat on the back? The Bible says then we can be ready to give an answer to every man who asks for reason of the hope that is within us with fear and then trembling because I went the second mile. Go beyond and above when it comes to social privilege. You have a right to the remote, and that's a big thing. You got to keep going back to that. I want this church, when it comes to being Christ strong, when it comes to the women of this church, I want us to be a second-mile church. I want our women to feel protected. I want them to be, feel special. Now, sometimes we get confused because you open up, a woman, open up the door for one woman, she's grateful, the next one wants to slap you in the face. So it's confusing, but you do it anyway. If you see a sister coming through the door, open the door for her. See a sister hold, got things in her hand, you assist. Don't take her purse now. They ain't going, that's a little, we don't, play, we don't go there. 
see somebody outside in the rain as a brother, as a Christ strong man. We, we, we know the word now. We, don't we, Brother Carlos? We got the word. We've been trained so well, we could go to other churches and train men. But we want our testimony to not be coming from our mouth. We want our women to say that we covered here. These brothers make us feel special. We can be, a, we can be totally feminine here. They honor our gifts here. They honor our intelligence here. But they recognize that, as the Lord says, they, we are the weaker vessel, not the inferior vessel, but different. And so the Lord said, live with in an understanding way. I don't just want the title. I want the accolades. He says, by this, men will know. Not we say, we're a loving church. I know we're a loving church. What are people saying? What are the sisters saying? I'm waiting for the sisters to stand up and testify. Oh, my, my husband just releasing my covering. Waiting for the singers to stand up. This brothers at this church cover me. I know that if I can't shovel my snow, one of the brothers, I can call brother who? Don't raise your hand because we don't want to put you under conviction. Now, if you have a problem with married men shoveling snow for single women or using their snowblower, then you go with your husband. Go with him. Why shouldn't we be doing second-mile things for sisters in this church? Why shouldn't the young women see how we treat our women and desire to have husbands like us? Why should a woman have to go outside of this church to find somebody when, they, when we, they know what men are being fed here? Somebody say amen. We're moving on. Go to second mile when it comes to social privilege, material possessions, physical protection, and financial prudence. Say financial prudence. The word prudence simply means wisdom being a good steward of God's money. We, 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 we talk about that. He says, give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow, don't say no. Don't turn him away. Now, <laughs> is Jesus teaching, since all that we have, well, here's what Jesus is teaching. Since everything that we have belongs to him, all that we have should be available to him to use to meet whatever need he wants to meet. Is that the way you think about your finances? Or are they yours? You got your plan. You're not varying from your plan. You're pretty close to your goal. Uh, some of us are closer to uh, getting to that place where we're retired, and some of us didn't make as good a decisions as others. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But if God were to ask you to bless someone who didn't have a car, who can't afford a car note, who needs a place to live, could he, could you, would you do that? And you have the resources. Or would we say, well, they didn't work hard, they're not going to appreciate it. No, no, no. Well, I'm talking about people who God puts on your heart to do extraordinary things, extravagant things. 
I don't know how many times I've shared this with you guys. I, don't, I went to church because God told me to go, and I didn't even know how I was going to get home. Didn't have enough gas in the car. It was on E, and it was before I had, he had the cars that will tell you there's 30 gallons left. There. No, I didn't have that kind of car. But every single time I obeyed the Lord and pressed my way out to Christian stronghold, a Bible study, it didn't fail that somebody would shake my hand and put money in my hand. They didn't know that I needed it. I never announced it and broadcast it, but I always had a enough money and more to get where I had to go because the people of God were willing to make the resources of God that he put into their trust available to God in any way he wanted to use them. The flesh says, I earned it the old-fashioned way. The flesh says, that's church and this is business. As soon as somebody says that and they're Christian, they're, they're going from being spiritual to carnal. You're a Christian businessman. And Christians don't sell broke stuff that you know doesn't work, that you, and then change your phone number so people can't get back in touch with you. They don't steal things from the office that don't belong to them. Uh-oh, amen. Mm -hmm. And Haggai says, it's time for you to build your houses, but my house? The needs at the church. Now, here's what's really interesting how we do this. Uh, come on, let me move on. <clears throat> Supernatural response in Acts chapter 4. Somebody say amen. The Bible says all believers were of one heart, one mind. No one claimed that anything was their possession that was their own. But they shared everything they had. Now, I ain't talking about blessing lazy and greedy people. I'm talking about people who, are, who, are, who genuinely have a need. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. They had great power. Miracles were being wrought. Why? Because they were sharing everything. And God's grace was so powerfully at work on all of them that there was no needy person among them. Why should somebody get their electricity turned off if they're faithful? Why should you get your gas turned off? Why should you get your stuff repossessed? I'm talking about people who are irresponsible, nor are we going to be irresponsible. But our first mindset is ministry, not money. Our first response is, is the need legitimate? Our, our, so we don't want to contribute by being enablers to people who are irresponsible. And God's grace, they said then they were, there was no needy among them for, for from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from sale, and they placed them at the apostles' feet. Is that a part of what the church can do? The church can do that. We talking about heal somebody, Lord. I want you to deliver them from demons. And I want to see if them was, if I came to my church. I think the pastor walked on the carpet. Yeah, he did walk on the carpet because of this thing called gravity. But it looked like he was floating when he was walking. So, and I know that was what Jesus did. You know, Jesus walked on the water. The pastor walked on carpet. Some come see the church and we see all the tricks and come under the big tent. No, the church ain't a big tent. But I guarantee you, when we start operating by putting ministry above money and people's lives are being blessed in areas of need because we're functioning with the philosophy that what we, the money and everything we have belongs to God and we will do, whatever, do with it whatever he says do, 
all of a sudden miracles are going to start popping out all over the place because the Bible says that God released to the apostles great authority and power when they went the second mile, when they were willing to do the unusual, the unthinkable. Who's giving away money? I work too hard for this. Don't you understand? I'm trying to get to my retirement. Don't you understand? This is my fault. No, no, no. God, what is it that you want me to do for the kingdom? Because only what I do for Christ is going to last. I want to honor you. I want to honor you. One of the 